Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Anything Up. When you need a second opinion. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today we have on Robert Viglioni of Zencash. Now, Zencash has been in the news today, and we recorded this episode about two weeks ago, so you're going to have two separate sections. The first is a 101 on Zen, and the second section is Rob and I got on the horn early this morning. My time was about 5.30, and we talked about the 51% attack on their network. So you're going to hear the first part and then the second part. And I apologize in advance. The second part was recorded early this morning. So we didn't have much time to give it a good edit, but it sounds pretty good. Enjoy this conversation. Zen Cash 101 with Rob Viglioni and comes back and talks about the 51% attack. But before that, please go to Crypto101podcast.com. That's Crypto101podcast.com. There you can join our social medias, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter Please answer the questions on the Facebook page when you're trying to join. Only by answering all three questions will you be allowed to enter the community. We try to have sincere, genuine people that are not going to spam or try to sell people things in our group. It's just for education. It's just for sharing knowledge. So please fill out those questions. Also, send me an email to say what's up. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribing to us and telling your friends to subscribe helps us keep on the charts so thank you very much if you have and if you haven't please subscribe leave us a comment and a rating and now without further ado here's rob viglioni of zencash we'll see you after the show robert viglioni of zencash how are you doing today sir i'm doing very well thank you for having me Man, no problem. Thank you for coming on and thank you for staying up late to do this podcast with me. <laughs> That's not too bad. I have some tea here just to kind of keep my myself up a little bit. Right on. Well, I have my coffee yeah. and my Iron Man cup right next to me. Nice. So what we're going to do today, this podcast, this conversation that we're having right now was initiated by listeners and they said, you have to have Zen on. And I'm like, you know, I don't know anything about Zen. I haven't really heard about much about it, but for somehow it worked through the grapevine, we're talking together right now, and I think that's awesome. So what I wanna do today is I wanna know about you. I wanna know about the start of Zencash, and I wanna know about the projects you have out now, and the ones you have in development, and then we could just you know kind of go by the general market. This is just a 101 on you guys. What do you think? Cool, we can talk tech, we can talk me, we can talk the team, totally up to you guys. Right on, because Crypto 101 is for the average consumer, and we just really wanna you know, break it down for the average listener, the person that's, you know, putting a hundred bucks or 200 bucks of their hard earned money, you know, to an exchange to buy your token and, you know, so they can be more confident with it. Yep. Cool. Perfect. So then let's just start with, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm Rob. Hi, uh, Rob. <laughs> so my, my background, I mean, I'm at my core, uh, a scientist, you know, physicist, mathematician, but then I, I actually uh, left the hard sciences and expanded into, like, I got an MBA to get a little bit of management experience. I was a military officer for leadership experience. And then I, I went back for my PhD, actually, in financial economics, because I thought that uh, having the kind of the hard science and then the, the econ background would just be a really nice combo to build, oh, especially to do what we're doing here. I think it's a perfect combo. So why I got into Bitcoin, I could say I came from just a, the heritage of libertarian cypherpunks 
where Bitcoin came from. I just got lucky, I guess, being part of that community and, you know, getting into Bitcoin early on. And then from there, I, I started getting involved in the community. I actually started doing my academic research for my PhD in uh, Bitcoin asset pricing. And then that led me into actually getting a little bit more entrepreneurially involved in the space. Uh, and then the more I got into it, the more I just it just kind of sucked me in. And then uh, I was on a project called Z Classic, working on the core team there. And talking to a few of the other guys on the team, we realized there's just this, you know, kind of a big gap in the industry, like uh, particularly on the governance side and applying economics, I think a little bit more thoroughly to different stakeholder groups, and then expanding the particular technology in a direction we thought uh, just made a lot of sense. So that, that's where we, we launched Zen from that kind of motivation. Right on. So you were in the military, you have your MBA, and you have a PhD. So you're not a slacker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I can say I'm, I'm actually, my, my mom will tell you, I, I'm still ABD on the, the doctorate, which is all but dissertation. So I, I get to teach uh, and I actually teach a Bitcoin and blockchain course, but I, I still need to defend my, my dissertation later this fall, hopefully, not wood. Oh, right now, where, where do you teach at? Uh, University of South Carolina. Oh, cool. Right on, man. That's awesome. How long were you in the military? What branch? Uh, five years Air Force, okay. and then I, I did uh, you know consulting work with basically all branches, Marines, Army, uh, and then Special Forces as well. Right on. You look like a young guy. May I ask how old you are? Yeah, <laughs> I'm almost 40. Uh, good exercise and, and diet, I guess. <laughs> 1979 by any chance? <laughs> no, 80, actually. So oh, yeah. I, I'm just turning the 38. All right, right on. I'm 1979. Cool, cool. So there's a picture of you on your Skype with a person. Who is that person? I'm guessing it's my wife. I hope it's her. <laughs> <laughs> you got some explaining to do if you don't. I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so you, wife, yeah, kids, I, dogs? Yeah, so I, I'm married, actually. Married, no kids, and no dogs. The no dogs is like our, our one really big regret so far um, because we, we just absolutely love dogs, but we just have no time, and we're just constantly traveling around. So she actually works on uh, the Zen project as well. She runs her ops and marketing. So mm -hmm. she's kind of like the glue that keeps the team together. So we're just gone and working nonstop. So it's just, you know, a, a dog, may, may, hopefully in the future, if things go well, you know, we, we hope to get a dog at least. Oh, too bad she couldn't hop on the call with us. But Well, she probably arranged it actually, or at least her team did. Oh, really? Probably. Um, yeah. So we, we have a pretty active marketing team. Just, they do a lot of grassroots stuff as well, especially like... Uh, growing our community and then reaching out to different YouTubers as well. We're actually not a big fan of traditional advertising and just mm -hmm. like traditional business. We just care more about the grassroots communities. Uh, so hearing, like you said, where your listeners were actually telling you or kind of requesting that we talk, that, that to me is awesome. Like that's the way it should be, more so than just paying for advertisements. Absolutely. I agree. 100% agree. Let's get into a Zencast a little bit. And you said that it is a fork of Z Classic, in which is it a fork of Zcash, or can you tell us a little bit about that history and how that works? For sure. So actually, Z Classic is a clone of Zcash. And to be honest, if I could do it again, I would have chosen Zcash to fork from. And I was just having this conversation with Zuko um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he was asking, well, why didn't you just pick Zcash? And, and I'll just say that it didn't cross my mind because I was working on Z Classic. Mm. Uh, so it just made a lot more sense. We were kind of working in the community. We got to know the community. You know, and we feel ourselves to be a community-driven project. 
So it just made sense to fork from Z Classic where we were. But Z Classic, the whole purpose of Z Classic was really to be a clone of Zcash minus the founder's reward and some other kind of minor parameters uh, up front. You know, for instance, when Zcash launched, there was a bit of a delay in the the new supply emission rate. So little things like that, but mainly for the founders reward, removing that and making it just more, what what we thought at the time was a Gale variant of our project. But, uh, you know, honestly, I think we would have been better off forking from Zcash. It would have made, I think, a little bit more sense because the code was just more current anyway. You said that there are some aspects of the market that were not being taken care of. And that's why you said, oh, we need to do something else yeah. and let's fork from Z Classic. Z Classic, you were working with them. Did you produce, like, try to convince them to go a certain way and they said, nah, we're not doing that. And then you just said, okay, well, I'm forking this and I'm out. Yeah, so the whole point of Z Classic was really to just be a one-for-one -one clone of Z Cash and to be nothing more, to do nothing else. In fact, it just had very strict mandate. And really all we wanted was a functioning blockchain that had ZK Snarks, which is the privacy feature that Z Cash has and Z Classic has. Um, that's all we wanted, all we needed. So that, that was the base from which we started um, and then from there, we kind of went down this whole platform route where, you know, I could talk about that a lot more, but we're kind of pivoting to be much more than just a privacy coin or like a cryptocurrency. So really the, the whole point of forking was just to start with the base and then to start building on top of it. All right. So what were the things you, and you said that there were some things that Z Classic wasn't doing that you wanted to see in the ecosystem or in the space or what have you, what were those things? Sure. So the biggest one I could say is Z Classic operates just like Bitcoin, but with privacy. Mm -hmm. And the problem with Bitcoin and then all the derivatives from there that don't modify it is there's a lot of other stakeholders in the ecosystem and you, you have to create incentives for all of them. And you can't just expect people to participate kind of of their own free will forever and, you know, grow the ecosystem. So really what we wanted to do was we wanted to build a treasury system so that block rewards are split between miners, a treasury pool, which gets allocated to like developers, basically the whole team that we have right now of about 50 people and then research projects, marketing and so forth. But then we also thought there's this whole group of full node operators that are they're part of the backbone of any cryptocurrency and they get neglected entirely from most cryptocurrencies. So what we did was we thought, well, let's split the block reward a different way as well and start compensating people to run full nodes, but with enhanced uh, security on them. Mm -hmm. Because uh, security is a big, like a major part of what we do. So we wanted to layer in an additional kind of encryption layer into our protocol and then pay people to run the software. Mm -hmm. So actually just modifying this little thing, the economics a little bit, actually kind of exploded our node network. And now we have more nodes than Bitcoin um, after just about four or five months doing oh, wow. that so, so yeah it's a pretty big deal uh, i think especially for our future plans so you mentioned a lot about like compensation and incentivizing and that was like one of your major splits you're like you know what we could probably do this a different way and it makes it either more fair or more rewarding for different players or participants in the system but then you have this whole platform system that you're you're working on as well messenger publishing zen hide where yep. did that come in in that plan of forking from z classic None of these things were part of Z Classic, but these were all things that we thought should be included. So our goal is really to have like a full privacy-based ecosystem. Uh, but the ecosystem goes much further than just these, you know, basic tools that you see we're developing, like Messenger, you know, document publishing, and so forth. We're actually building out what we hope to be is a full end-to-end, -end, you know, peer-to-peer -peer economic system. So, like, really, the way that I look at our project is. We're focusing in the long term is more of a data play. 
So not, not a cryptocurrency, not even a smart contracting platform, but we care more about data, uh, which is why privacy is so critical for us, uh, more so than even on the cryptocurrency side, because as we build out a whole kind of dApp suite on our platform, the whole point is to be able to kind of empower users to individually collect and archive their own data securely, and then hopefully over time monetize that data in, in kind of unique ways. I'm happy you said dApp. Because I, yeah. <laughs> I, Aaron Aaron Paul, the host of ICO 101, our sister podcast, he always says DApps. And, and we're all like, dude, just say DApps, DApps. And he's like, no, I'm going to say DApps. And he's going to be so happy to hear that. <laughs> and he's going to tell you, he's going to tell me to shut up and let me, let him, let me do it, let him do his job. So I'm, I'm really happy you said one major thing in there. Well, I mean, I'm happy you said a lot of things in there. But one thing I really want to focus on right now is that you don't plan to be a currency. And I, the first thing I was thinking was Zencast privacy coin, Jesus, another privacy coin. Yeah. What, what, what are we doing all, with all these privacy coins? Everybody's trying to make a privacy yeah. currency. So you're not doing that. Or are you thinking that Monero and Sumo coin and uh, Pivx and all these other people are being are, are competition? I don't view them as direct competition, actually. So, so I view our coin as like one of our dApps, dApps. Uh, so, um, yeah, don't, don't start changing now. You're going to piss off Aaron. <laughs> but that, that's, that's how I view our coin is one of these, these applications that run in our ecosystem. But it, it's much more than that for us. So privacy is an absolutely critical part of what we're doing, not for just the monetary you know, transfers back and forth. Like we, we don't even you know, view ourselves as competing and say like the, the markets that Monero is, is operating in, like online dark markets and such. Like that, we don't even care about that at all. Mm -hmm. What we care about is having strong privacy so that we can build an app suite in, on, in our ecosystem. And then for each of our apps we build, users can configure to whether or not they want to you know, collect and archive their data. And when you archive data, you have to have like maximum privacy. If you have any you know, suboptimal privacy feature on data archiving, you're just a hacker's dream. That's why we chose Zero Knowledge Cryptography platform or technology is because it, it provides just the absolute best obfuscation techniques out there cryptographically. Um, but from there, it, it's really for us. We want to build out you know, this network. You know, th th we already built out you know, the world's second largest cryptocurrency network in terms of nodes. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to layer on a whole side chaining system, you know, which will integrate smart contracting into and then all of our you know, applications onto that layer. And then from that layer, our users will have the choice to collect and you know, archive, you use themselves, or you know, monetize their own data. So that's really it. Like we're, you know, the, the fact that we have a, a coin that operates you know, as one of the apps within this ecosystem is definitely not our main feature. So actually, we're going through a, a major rebranding exercise because the whole cash on the end of our name is mm -hmm. such a misnomer. And I think that this made us so underrated in the ecosystem. Um, just because people view us as, yeah, just, okay, another privacy coin, that's, that's great. Uh, there's plenty of others out there. Uh, but what they don't realize is what we've been doing in the background and the whole kind of platform system that we've been building. Right. You said you're the second largest in terms of the nodes. The first would be Ethereum? Yep, exactly. And Thir a third I think Bitcoin? We'll, yes, exactly. So we're snug in the middle. And I think we're going to overtake Ethereum probably within a month or two. Right so we actually have, uh, Yeah, we have a big um, kind of consensus change coming up in the next month. Um, it's going to significantly increase the, the payouts to node operators, mm -hmm. which should significantly increase the network. Cool, man. Cool, cool. So I'm happy you said that about Zen Cash. And I was looking at the site and I was doing some research on you guys and I was just like, yep, other privacy coin. And then I scrolled to, you know, the middle of your website 
And I was like, okay, you have these different apps or dApps or D apps or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and there's Messenger, Publishing, and Hide. Can you explain your vision for those? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, these are really just kind of the, the first layer of apps that we propose to throw out there to the community. And really the point of it was because uh, we, we want to create as strong of a kind of a, a privacy-oriented ecosystem as possible to make our users feel comfortable with, you know, operating in, in the ecosystem. So to feel comfortable, you know, being able to kind of keep your funds um, obfuscated or at least, you know, not visible to the whole world on a blockchain was, was priority. Then for people to be able to communicate with each other within the ecosystem, um, you know, safely, securely is, was the priority. That's hence whole the Zen chat protocol. Uh, and then we thought, well, there's probably people in places around the world that are kind of censored from the Internet, censored from, you know, cryptocurrencies uh, because they're just in bad jurisdictions. Well, let's let's use the tech and create kind of a document publishing tool, uh, like a distributed hash table, you know, sort of thing within our node network. And then we also thought, well, because there are people access, you know, trying to access the Internet or trying to access cryptocurrencies um, in places where they can't, let's create um, this whole uh, Zen hide tool where you can actually use domain fronting techniques to connect to our, our network in a way that is your private in case you're say you're you're in iran or some other country that decides to ban cryptocurrencies or venezuela if they say their cryptocurrency is the only one you're allowed to access but you want to access zen uh, we actually built a tool called zen hide which allows you to connect to us without you know the local jurisdiction knowing that without anyone in the world knowing knowing that And now a word from our sponsor, Anything App. Hey everyone, it's Anything App, a blockchain project from the Netherlands. I hope you're enjoying Crypto 101 podcast. We've been developing a platform over the last year that we are very passionate about and we wanted to share with you. With the Anything App, you can quickly connect with someone you don't know yet to get help from them over the phone. Some of them will help for free, while others might charge a small price. You can call, chat, video call. Don't know how to fix something? Cool. Just video chat the handyman and ask. Don't know which pants to buy? It's alright. Video chat and show a stylist. Do you have a quick tax question regarding your crypto? Sure. Just ring someone for two minutes instead of Googling for hours. Taxes, business development, food, mental health, furniture, you name it. Whenever Google is too slow or you need another set of eyes on something, that's the Anything app. With Anything app, people save time. People solve problems. They make money. They feel great after helping someone or feel great after being helped. It's a transparent and fun source of income that's available to anyone. Check out the website, anything.app, and join the token presale, which should be live right around now. Thank you very much, and we're looking forward to disrupting communication together. You said that within the ecosystem, that means the Zen ecosystem. Is that correct? Yeah. So, correct, yeah. So why, why that plan? I mean, intuitively, I would say that if you were developing all of these different apps or dApps, then you would want to partner with existing ecosystems. You know, if you have publishing, then Amazon is, is number one. If you if there's messengers, there's many messenger apps. There's, you know, WeChat, you know, WhatsApp, you know, uh, Line or what, yep. what have you. And they can use privacy aspects, you know, or what have you. But you just said you want to do it in your ecosystem. Why make that choice? It seems a lot harder and it seems to be a very steep mountain to climb. 
No, so I, I completely agree with you, actually. So that's not, we, we don't have this kind of binary vision of everything has to be in-house. In fact, we're, we're big fans of integrating where we can. So actually on, on the publishing side, uh, we have one of our wallets integrating with IPFS, the Interplanetary File Storage System, to do exactly that. So in fact, uh, we're finding out now that we're kind of you know at the stage where we're evaluating different architectures, the whole IPFS integration makes a lot more sense, we think, than the whole um, you know using our our node storage for document storage just because of legal issues. Um, so actually, this is a perfect case where I, I completely agree. In fact, we chose to go the other route instead of building the Zen Pub to be in-house. Zen Pub is really a wallet a wallet integration to IPFS. Um, so there, there's actually plenty of other things that I envision exactly like that. You know, things like if when we for sure will build out a decentralized exchange to do um, kind of peer-to-peer asset trading. And you know, I, I've already reached out to one to one peer-to-peer exchange already to see if there could be an elegant way for us to integrate you know our tools. So I, I completely agree. I, I guess philosophically. I'm a big fan of evaluating all options, but of course, if we can leverage the network effect that someone else has already built, uh, I prefer that option first and foremost. And being an integrating function, I think makes more sense. You have a hundred million dollar market cap, and I know market cap doesn't mean a lot; it's all very speculative. But it seems as though there's two DApps that are in development. In one app, the Messenger app that you say is launched, but I couldn't really find it or use it because I read that it was part of the wallet. So I downloaded the wallet and I was like, okay, I'm gonna send people messages. It wasn't really visible. Maybe I downloaded the, because I downloaded the light client. Maybe not, it's in the full. Kind it of, is, yeah. It is in the full. So, okay. Yeah. So, so basically the way I look at it, you have a half a product and you have other products in the work and it's all in, in ecosystem. Where is your, one, your vision of how this is going to go? How is the market cap justified? And what can you tell these people that have put their money in to make this market cap $100 million that it's worth it? Oh, sure, sure, of course. I, I mean, so there's there's different ways of looking at market cap and asset pricing in, in the space. Um, and there's really no science to it, it, which is unfortunate to say, because I, I was actually studying crypto finance asset pricing. Uh, and I can say it's just very, very vague and kind of immature at how you value stuff. But if you look at kind of our thesis, like our, our big grand investment thesis, here's where we have to roll our R&D projects into it. So we have a, a functioning cryptocurrency, right? We have, like you said, a, a half an app. I mean, it, it, it's actually a functioning MVP, um, the, the chat tool. Um, and then we have a whole bunch of other stuff in development. Like our, our kind of grand investment thesis is we're marrying Zcash with Dash, with IOTA, and Ethereum. So we've got basically four technologies that we're spanning, uh, and we're trying to do this in a more elegant, kind of efficient way. Uh, and I'll explain this. On the cryptocurrency side, and just with the whole uh, zero-knowledge cryptography that we got from Zcash, this is actually going to permeate into everything that we do. So it's going to permeate into kind of the second thing, which is we're integrating like uh, Dash-like features. By that, I mean a treasury system. So we have a sustainable funding model forever, basically for as, as long as blocks are mined and fees are generated, we're going to be able to generate revenue to grow our ecosystem. Um, that that has value, in my, in my opinion, and that's something that other just you know pure cryptocurrencies don't have. Uh, but we're using kind of game theory research and you know our, our zero knowledge cryptography to build the the treasury and voting system in a way that's decentralized much more elegantly than than say Dash is. So we actually have an R&D partner, the guys who built Cardano, uh, it's a company called IOHK that we work with on this kind of groundbreaking treasury system. 
So if nothing else, we have an amazing R&D project that's groundbreaking that we're building with the guys who built Cardano um, that adds a lot of value to our ecosystem on top of the cryptocurrency. The third thing that I mentioned was IOTA. So the second R&D project that we have with IOHK is a, a massive protocol upgrade into something called a block DAG, which is a much superior kind of next generation IOTA technology, where instead of having the Tangle, which is a transaction DAG, where you have transactions that are kind of organized into this tree structure that grows by transactions, validating other transactions. We're still arranging transactions into blocks like you do for you know Bitcoin, but the blocks themselves will be arranged into a tree structure, which is going to give us something along the lines of two or 3,000 transactions a second capability in a way that's much more like mathematically valid because we're starting with academic research and then actually doing the proofs in the academic research you know, the math proof. So then actually building code from that, testing it, and then putting it onto production level code. Uh, so th this is another huge R&D project that if we're successful, and of course it's risky, puts us at, at probably the most high throughput blockchain out there that uses proof of work specifically. So we'd be the first DAG with proof of work on the market, which is huge in itself. Uh, and then the fourth thing was the whole, you know, blending it with Ethereum. Now, by this, I just mean smart contracting. So we're doing smart contracting in what we think will be a more secure, high throughput, uh, elegant solution via side chains. So what side chains are, it's basically a whole separate blockchain that connects to your, your main chain, your main blockchain, through kind of a, a standard connection protocol that you control. But then on the side chain, you can do basically you can take it into a completely different direction. So what we're doing is we're gonna layer our smart contracting platform into the side chain. Which means that if something goes wrong with the scripting languages and there's some bug, like there often is on, on Ethereum, or every now and then there is on Ethereum, um, it won't affect our main chain. So if we think that this is a much more elegant and secure solution for smart contracting even. And we're going to do it on a delegated proof of stake network, which would be you know, maybe a thousand X faster than Ethereum. So if you combine these four value propositions into what we're doing, and then look at that as just our base in terms of the investment thesis, and then look at a longer term vision of, okay, now that we have this base infrastructure that's technologically you know, groundbreaking, economically the most sound, because we actually use game theory and real economics to make sure our, every stakeholder group has incentive compatible mechanisms built into the protocol. And then look at our, our long term vision of this full like, app suite where we're building a sort of, you know, like a Google Play Store where you kind of go into there on your Android device and you, you, know, you purchase different apps on your phone. We're gonna have something very similar, like a Zen Play Store, where we're gonna have all these apps in our ecosystem and you can go choose a la carte, which ones you wanna run as a node operator, and then share revenue streams with the developers. You know, the developers and the node operators will share revenue streams. So there's just this whole kind of expanding value proposition that I think makes us very unique and much different than any, you know, say like privacy coin on the market. And if you look at valuations, we're, I don't know, one-tenth the valuation of any one of those other projects that I think we have a credible chance of surpassing, at least technologically. Thank you very much for that answer. And uh, it was very thorough and very in-depth. I guess what I want to get into as well is the product. Okay, so you talk about the infrastructure that you're building, the protocols, and all these different mm -hmm. aspects of how you're going to do something in the future. So the, the framework isn't there, we are building it. The apps are not there, we are building it. I tried mm -hmm. to download the full client of your wallet. Then it says I have to download or download a, I guess, uh, run a full node, which is a, more than a gigabyte of data mm -hmm. on my computer, just to send messages yeah. 
you know, using blockchain. So it's private and, you know, encrypted and all these other things, which seems like a big cost when I could just, you know, go and download, you know, Telegram or something like that. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and I'll say, though, that, that that messaging app, like, that's not even in my consideration when I talk about this app suite. We're not going to make a billion dollar valuation on, you know, a messaging app at, at all. We're, we're not Telegram and we're not trying to compete there at all. This is more just kind of, you know, just initial MVPs, you know, as part of our infrastructure build out. But really, we're just focusing on infrastructure right now. Mm-hmm. We haven't even started to focus on our app suite. Mm-hmm. Um, so the app suite is going to run on the side chains with our smart contracting solution. So the stuff that we have right now is really just meant as kind of like MVPs just for like base infrastructure and that's it. So you're envisioned for these apps. Nobody's going to have to download like um, ZenPub and run a full node or have a no, 1.5 no, 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 gigabytes of data on their phone or their computer or... No, and even for apps. So I'll give you one example of an app. Uh, and, and this is just, you know, a conceptual idea. Um, but so we have zero knowledge cryptography built into our into our protocol. This will be in our side chain, in our smart contracts. Could you could you perfect. explain zero knowledge cryptography? What is that? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Zero knowledge is you know just like the name suggests. It's you can have a transaction or a data structure where you can prove that something exists. You can prove some truth without revealing any of the details of the proof itself. Mm-hmm. So in the the currency context, this is like I could send you a transaction and. On the blockchain, you'll see that some valid transaction occurred. There was no double spending, but no one could tell that it was me who sent you a transaction. They have no idea how much was actually sent either. Mm-hmm. So it's completely obfuscated. But now this could map very nicely into other data structures like healthcare data mm-hmm. or financial data for investment banks. This is why JP Morgan's uh, partnering with Zcash, you know, for Quorum to build it into, you know, their their kind of asset exchanges. So anything where you want to be able to kind of collect data privately, but then still reveal or do functions on top of that data. For instance, we're, we're using this in our voting system. So as a voter, you don't want someone to know who you voted for, but you want your vote to be counted. Right. Um, this is a perfect application of zero knowledge cryptography because you can cast your vote with you know zk snark based transaction. So your vote will now be aggregated because we can do a mathematical function of addition onto kind of the broad set of these votes without revealing actually who voted, but we can still prove mathematically that there's no double counting of votes. Mm-hmm. It's really elegant stuff. So the apps that I envision are, aren't like a chat tool. The apps that I envision are like a whole healthcare services platform built onto our side chain. In a way, they would be kind of like an ERC-20 token kind of integration. So we're going to have a whole API layer into our, our sidechain system or our smart contracting system so that people can build out whole businesses on top of it and leverage our blockchain for security and privacy, you know, fungibility and all the other good things that you get out of a blockchain and a whole ecosystem as well in terms of users and you know, customers. But that's what I envision is like whole businesses built on the platform, not like a, you know, Zen chat. Zen right. chat is just something that we built out just to kind of demo the tech while we're building out the infrastructure. All right. So I love products yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. and there's, and there's yeah. not that many products in this space yet, <laughs> to be honest. Exactly. When, when can exactly. we see these products? We want to see them. What's your timeline? We're actually thinking about spinning off a for-profit company whose whole purpose is to act like a VC incubator for actual products to be built on the system. So kind of like what, what Ethereum did with Consensus is what we're envisioning here for Zen is, you know, there's just so much value to be had by targeting investment and kind of development expertise on actual products. 
And when, when I say uh, development expertise, I don't just mean engineering expertise. So like the way that we're run is we're not just kind of a set of engineers building a pro, you know, this project. We actually have a, a full stack business where we have 50 people on the team in seven divisions. So we have engineering, of course, we have a great software team, we have a QA testing team, we have an infrastructure team, but we also have a business development team, we have a marketing team, an operations team, a research and development team, uh, we have a, a finance and accounting team. So we're, we're run like a normal, like a, an actual organization, not you know a hobby project that forked a GitHub repo. So we're actually kind of operating on full steam ahead in all uh, you know, dimensions of the business. Oh, and, and I should say, we, we actually have a product and user experience division as well. So you'll see, we actually have a, like brand new wallets uh, set for release. We actually just demoed them at Consensus last week. Mm-hmm. So we should have them on Testnet, I'm guessing, next week. Cool. Yeah. So you said you had 50 people working for you, and you were going to spin off to have a for-profit company. Maybe. This is yeah, ideas that you're kicking, kicking around. So yeah. you have 50 people on the books right now. You have 50 people that need... Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition, and it has AI self-learning chips, so the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery, and it lasts around four months, but don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice, and also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. Recordings, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Get salaries and eat and all these things. How are you paying them? And I guess the real question is, out of $100 million in your market cap right now, how is it being divided that you are paying these 50 people that are working for you? And what is like the founder shares, your shares, things mm-hmm. like that? Like, is this where we're going to see you showing up to consensus with, you know, Richard Mill $100,000 watches? Or how, how does this? <laughs> no, no, I actually, we didn't build any founders awards into the system, nor did we do a pre-mine at all, because to us, it was really important to have any egalitarian distribution. So even all of my stake is what I bought on the market and then what I get paid in a salary that's below market anyway. So I, I'm getting paid less than I would if I just went out and got another job. So I, I get that. Tell, tell me about that. it, man. Tell me about yeah. it. I'm a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's really important for us because you know if the project is successful, we'll do really well. Uh, I bought a ton of Zen. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is that I went out and I bought it. Uh, and then I get paid, you know, I, I get paid, you know, fair market compensation, but this is the whole team as well. But here's the beauty of what we did and what, and why I say economics matters. Economics matters in the long run. So economics may not matter for a pump and dump group that pushes, you know, some scam coin up to a billion dollars, but economics matters in a two or three or five year horizon where we built into our system that basically, you know, every block that gets mined, I guess after a month from now, it'll be 10% of the block reward goes to the treasury. And the treasury is going to be up for vote by the community, you know, using this whole very sophisticated game theory model that we have. And, you know, we bid contracts on this. So even our team, we're going to be bidding our team as, a, you know, a contract to the DAO. And the community can either, you know, fund us or not fund us, maybe fund part of it, not fund other parts. We'll see. Uh, but this is the sustainability of it uh, aspect of it is with an ICO, you get a ton of money up front and then you have to figure out, well, how do you allocate this over the next like 50 years? You have no idea. You have no idea right. how much you spend today versus like next year versus five years from now. You don't even know what your investment opportunity set is going to look like. What's the technology going to look like? What's the competitive landscape going to look like in five years? I don't know. So why would I want all my money up front? I much prefer an incremental funding model like we built where you get paid every block that's mined. You get a little bit of money. And the effective budget that you have is based on your performance in the market and how the market rewards you. So the community is voting on the salaries for everybody? So right now, no, not at all. Okay, Actually, so, so, so you have 50 yeah. people. Um, basically, you have, let's yeah. say, an engineer, a developer, you have your product design, UI, whatever you said. Who, who determines yeah. their salaries? And then when you, they, they're looking for their paycheck, how is that allocated from the money that you have? Where does the money yeah, come from? No, so we did it real simply. So we, we did it real simply because we don't have the DAO operational yet. We have that as a Q4 deliverable. So the interim solution was we set up a nonprofit foundation that has a board of directors. And then what we did was we brought you know an accountant on staff, a CPA, a certified fraud investigator, to actually run our accounting for us. Uh, and then we we use Glassdoor actually. If you go to Glassdoor.com and research like any labor category experience level you want. That's what we did for all of our 50 guys. Mm-hmm. So what are these people worth on the open market? And we chose you know, one of the like median percentiles for what their salaries were. 
So this is how we based our, our compensation scheme for everyone. So the base of the compensation scheme was set to be a little bit lower than you would get on the market anyway. And we actually uh, augment this with 20% of the treasury fund gets paid out as an optional uh, bonus on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. Now I can tell you the first quarter of the year, because we're in a market crash, we didn't pay out bonuses to the team because we just couldn't afford it. You know, the market was killing us. We're doing much better now, and I would really like to pay bonuses to the team, but everything is based on like a fair, like provably fair, you know, and like auditable accounting standard that we have a certified fraud investigator running for us. So transparency is really important. Right on, right on. On to general questions. Who do you look up to in the space? Oh, by the way, before, before we go into this, I want to say that the Richard Mill watch, $100,000 watch at Consensus is not a big deal in my opinion. Like, so a lot of people were giving Charlie <laughs> Lee a big deal about his, his, his watch that he was wearing. And then they said Fluffy Pony's watch. And I made a comment on, on Twitter and actually uh, Charlie replied to me and said, you know, it's, it's an entry level Richard Mill, which whatever that means. Um, <laughs> so, but I don't think that it's a big deal. If you, if you do a good job and you make a good living and you make money and you want to buy yourself an expensive watch, buy yourself an expensive watch. It's not a big deal. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. So I don't want anybody to think that just because I, I, just, I don't know, I, I don't have a problem with this. Some people are like, some people really have a problem with saying, you know, oh, he bought a, an expensive watch and it's like, you know, he's not for us. Well, no, that he just, <laughs> he treat, you, you can treat yourself, right? No, I, I hear you. I mean, you know, maybe it's correlated with scammers, but I mean, if you, if you actually earned it, then who cares? It's, it's your money, your business. Agree, agree. So anyway, going back to my general question, who do you look up to in the crypto space? If you were on Twitter and you're going through your feed or if you were watching something or reading something and this person was being interviewed or tweeted something or said something, who would that person be that you would just stop and go, I'm reading it? Yeah, I, I can tell you three guys in my Twitter feed that every day I look at. One would be Charles Hoskinson, the CEO of IOHK and founder of Cardano and Ethereum. The other would be Zuko. I'm just a, a huge fan of what he's done for privacy mm -hmm. in general and commercializing snarks. And then uh, Barry Silbert, actually, for his business acumen and building basically a kind of a cryptocurrency, you know, huge portfolio and being one of the first legitimate business people to just put a ton of money into the space just early on and having that division and building up this portfolio. Right on, right on. So if you were watching this as well and you were going to take somebody's advice, who would you reach out to for advice in building the company or in crypto in general, or maybe even, well, making an investment, buy some of that Bcash. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'll say, I'll say Charles is an advisor already. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, I mean, you know, uh, Charles for sure already is an advisor, and I, I look up to him a lot uh, just in terms of vision, values, and tech acumen. And, you know, Barry, I think, just has an incredible vision for the business side and looking at the long-term product cycle and where we're going and how we're going to make this stuff useful. Mm -hmm. So those are the guys that, that I would I would reference in terms of uh, advice. Right on. So I know Zen is doing a lot of things and moving for the future, but let's not think about Zen for this next question. What project do you think has the most impact for the future? If you were going to look at the swath of projects that are coming out on the blockchain or involved with the blockchain or cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. which one would you go, I'm, I'm going to bet on that one? And I, and I can't pick Zen on this one? You no, said? you cannot, sir. Okay. I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> because I, I would personally say Crypto 101, so, but you know. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I, I think the the generalizable blockchains, things like, I mean, not to be cliche, but what Ethereum is doing, and Ethereum has just such a massive head start with the smart contracting and building out 
their ERC-20 API was just brilliant in able, you know, providing a standardized way for businesses to kind of, well, ICO, but then also build their platforms on their system. I, I think they have a huge head start. So I'll, I'll say Ethereum. I'll take the generic answer here. And it could be an Ethereum-like platform in the future. But if I had to make a bet outside of, you know, the ones that I already mentioned, I would probably go with that one. When valuing these ecosystems, I, I think you have to not just look at the tech, but look at the people behind it. So this is why you know we're also thinking for-profit entity because Ethereum has consensus, which has about a thousand people on staff. So these are a thousand you know generally very smart people and motivated people that are going to be building really cool things on top of that ecosystem. So I would pay attention to it. Right on. Crypto 101 is positioned to be the first stop. Even though we go into detail, we you know we have great guests on like yourself, and you know we break down the very bare bone basics and have great in-depth conversations about all kinds of topics. If this was the first podcast somebody into the space was listening to, because it might be, what would you want them to know? I think the, the thing to you know keep in mind here is that we're building out a different type of technology, but in the end, if this technology isn't going to translate into useful consumer products, it's not gonna be all that useful. I mean, there's some killer apps. Like I, I argue that Bitcoin itself is a killer app in terms of like, like an international currency. Like, where you know people all over the world can use it without asking permission, which I think is huge in places like Venezuela. But take that one use case aside, and then think about blockchain tech and all these other companies or you know projects that are trying to build kind of permutations of this technology, uh, whether that's DAG permutations like IOTA is doing, or whether it's smart contracting permutations. If we're not focusing ultimately on the end user and the consumer, and thinking, you know. We need to build apps where they're just going and using this stuff on a daily basis on their computer or their phone, and they don't even know that it runs on a blockchain. Whoever mm -hmm. builds these kinds of apps is going right. to be the winner in the long haul. And it's not like there's going to be one winner, you know, and everyone else is going to lose. You're going to probably see a thousand different winners for different kind of niches in the market. Uh, but this is where you know projects need to go. So this is where we're focusing long term. You know, talking about the technology and the platforms and the infrastructure is cool for the techies. But, you know, why I'm thinking about spinning off the for-profit and what I really care about and even the one to two or three-year horizon, it's all about products. Like, this mm -hmm. is where we need to go as an industry. How comfortable are you knowing that people are investing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions into your project with hopes that these products that we talked about are going to be there in the future? This is one thing. So as a finance academic, I say this all the time and unabashedly. I'm the absolute worst salesperson for this project, and maybe that's why we still have such a low market cap. But I tell people, don't put all of your money into Zen. It makes sense if you like what we're doing and you do your due diligence, make an allocation into it, but diversify. Uh, and you shouldn't even have 100% of your portfolio into cryptos. You should have a well-diversified financial portfolio. You should have real estate, and crypto should be part of your overall portfolio. And within your crypto portfolio, if you like what we're doing, it makes sense for Zen to be a part of that. But don't put all of your eggs in one basket ever, mm -hmm. you know, unless you really have some huge inside information where you know that something is so amazing and the world just doesn't see it. But then you have to ask yourself, why doesn't the world see it? Maybe you're wrong, right? Um, so, you know, th this is where I, I have to put my academic you know, hat on and just caution people like th this is a massively volatile space. So don't put too much money into it. Right on. OK, cool, man. I think that's about it. Before we go, before I ask the last question, I want to say. Thank you very much for 50 minutes of your time. And I know I asked some questions that were pretty straight and direct, and I'm really thankful that you answered them as eloquently as you did. 
I appreciate that. <laughs> no, thanks, Matthew. No, I mean, these were, you know, the harder the question, the better, because that's why people need to have some value in listening to this and not just hear the same stuff over and over. So I have to say your questions were pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about, but they were questions indeed. What three songs would you want to put on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist that represent either you or Zen? Oh, man. Okay. There's this amazing you know, YouTube channel called Playing for Change, which I, I don't even know who these guys are. I think it's a company, but they basically go all over the world and get different musicians to uh, synchronously perform kind of classics. And sometimes it's really cheesy, but it's really amazing to just see such a large cross-section of humanity coming together to perform you know, songs that kind of make you feel, feel good. So one song I have to say, it's called A Better Place. Um, and it's performed by Playing for Change. That That's amazing. I absolutely love Lean on Me. I think it's a great message. I know, really cheesy. <laughs> so, and um, this train is bound for glory. I, I'm, I'm actually a big country music fan. So I, I, I love Mumford and Sons. You know, you are the first person to put a country song on the playlist. After all of the interviews, all the people that are on the show, and <laughs> about 120 shows later, you yeah. so- are the only country song. <laughs> Well, you got to check it out. Like, check out the YouTube, This Train is Bound for Glory by Mumford and Sons. And this is exactly the kind of experience that I consider a good time is just hanging out with your buddies, like around a campfire and just, you know, having at it. And, you know, this is what they do in in the song. So hopefully you get some joy. Cool, cool. Robert Viglioni of Zen Minus the Cash. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe you're leading the, the rebrand here. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Yeah, no, hopefully this is good. Uh, I appreciate you having me. Rob, thank you for coming back on really quick to talk about some recent events. Um, hi. Hey, pleasure. Yeah, long time no see, right? <laughs> long time no see. <laughs> Rob, Zen recently had a 51% attack. And this could sound either big, scary, or not like a big deal, depending on who you ask. However, we just want to go through this really quick to understand what is a 51% attack, what happened to Zen Network, and just go through maybe the future of Zen. Is that okay? Of course, please. Yeah, definitely. This is the perfect time to talk about this, obviously, because uh, it is actually a growing threat to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not the first project, and we won't be the last project that's been hit by this. Um, but let's first dispel like some of the the, the more negative or kind of um, unfactual stuff about it. Is a 51% attack does not create new coins. So the coin supply does not change. Your private keys will never be compromised. So all, all an attacker does is make it look like their own keys were used in a spend, which then they reverse. And there's always a, a victim. So it's always a, a very specific victim and usually an exchange. So really the mechanics of what happens are basically you know, hackers are exploiting the Satoshi consensus, this longest chain rule, where they privately mine a sequence of blocks and then they send a, a transaction to an exchange, you know, from their, their own their own coin to an exchange. And then they trade that coin for something else, withdraw the money, and then inject this sequence of fraudulent blocks into the chain with more proof of work, so the longest chain, which then cons uh, the exchange. So basically, it reverses their transaction that first went into the exchange, uh, but they got money out, but then it means that they ultimately didn't put money in. So it's a pure scam. Um, and it's unfortunately a legacy from just this longest chain rule from Bitcoin, which, you know, quite frankly, we have to change. 
So, you know, it sounds scary, but the way this is not rocket science, but what I've been telling people is we know exactly what the attack uh, vector is. We know exactly how they do it and we know exactly how to fix it. So uh, we're going to do that. Okay, so but we do have to slow down here because this is Crypto 101. Yeah. What is a 51% attack? Oh, right. Yeah, so, <laughs> great point. So a 51% attack, the name implies that uh, an adversary or a hacker uh, controls majority of the hash rate in your network. So all of the mining capacity, which it, it's a misnomer. It doesn't have to really be 51%. It's just for some period of time, they are able to mine a sequence of blocks that they control and don't release it to the network yet. So they mine it privately, and then they do some transaction, which would be fraud, and then they go ahead and all at once inject all of these fraudulent blocks into the chain. And because they've mined a long sequence uh, in private, as soon as they inject it, it looks like it's, it's the legitimate chain, but it's not the legitimate chain because they put in there a reversal of their original uh, transaction. So they basically defrauded someone mm -hmm. by doing it. Mm -hmm. So. You did mention that this isn't a big deal. It is fraud. However, whoever did this attack got away with $550,000. Is this true? Yeah. Yes. It, it, and I'll say it is a big deal. Uh, this sucks. Whenever our technology is used uh, in a way that will help someone defraud someone else, this is something we have to take extremely seriously. Um, and we are. So we. Um, if you want to talk about the response to it, I think... Our response should be like a textbook example of how to respond to this stuff was, number one, we knew that this was a growing threat in the community, and we could talk about why. Um, so we actually set up kind of tripwires, and we had the team ready to go for the second we saw something like this happening. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, uh, early Sunday morning or late Saturday night, East Coast time, um, you know, tripwire, you know, triggered. Team responded, analyzed the situation, saw immediately that this was an attack. And then we immediately spun up the team. We worked all night, uh, which was incredible. We contacted every single exchange partner and let them know the, the exact mitigating solution up front is you just increase the number of, like minimum number of block confirmations, confirmations before right. you release funds, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the most effective way to combat one of these things real time. And that's what we did. And then even that, while it was still going on, our marketing and PR team was putting together you know, an exact transcription of what was going on so that we can keep the community involved and aware of what's going on. So it was just a, a classic case of, I think, the way that you're supposed to respond to this stuff professionally. The damage was mitigated because we caught it immediately and immediately alerted all of our exchange partners. Unfortunately, uh, three transactions went through that were fraudulent that amounted to about 23,000 Zen. So you said we did say a lot and we just I just want to break down what was said. There was a 51% attack. 51% attack means that the, somebody controlled for even, even for a brief time, if it was one minute or three minutes or an hour or what have you, 51% of your network. We also said that this all happened on an exchange. So where is the break in the security? Because, and I'm gonna ask this question because mm -hmm. blockchain technology is supposed to be secure. Mm -hmm. This is a big reason why we're right. going to blockchain technology. Is this the lack of robustness of your network? Is this the exchange? What is, who's, who's at fault here? Yeah, so you know, we, we definitely take, take some culpability for this. There, there's no way that we would say there's no responsibility on us. But to be very precise with what happened was uh, someone was able to temporarily have more mining power 
than, than was required to inject fraudulent blocks into our chain. So it's not like we did some engineering mistake. This is a consensus mechanism that was taken from Bitcoin on how you add blocks to a ledger and what what's considered kind of a legitimate block. Um, so we, we, we know what the problem is, was, and we're not even a small project. We're about a mid-size project as far as hash rate goes. Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're the second most uh, mined Equihash uh, coin on the market. So it's not like we're a small guy in, out there. So there's a whole bunch of more vulnerable projects that you know, we have to say the consensus uh, from Satoshi was great for 2009, 2010, because we lived in a much different world. But now um, the cost of mounting these attacks has declined so much that now, even though it's, it's a statistical event where you might fail and waste a bunch of money, the, the success that you have, if it succeeds, like the, the reward is justified for some people. So we know how to fix it. We're just gonna do an engineering solution that makes it impossible by changing the consensus mechanism. Uh, and this is something that our engineers are spinning up right now. Uh, so we're gonna try to put this into uh, hopefully the next hard fork that we have in July. It's very aggressive because we want to actually uh, rigorously test every consensus change. So more realistically would be within a few months after very you know rigorous testing, we actually change the the consensus mechanism for the protocol. But you know this is something that as an industry we have to be more realistic about now. Before with Satoshi, we relied on the economics of 2009 and 2010 where we had more of a decentralized world and people were CPU mining, right. um, you know, and, and now in Satoshi's thing was, okay, it's technically feasible to hijack the network with a 51% attack, but it's not worth it for people. So in game theory, we call this a dominant strategy was to behave honestly. Now that's no longer true. So we need to move away from just incentives and say, no, we need to kill it. It can't even be technically possible going forward. Is Equihash, is ASIC resistant? So it, it was supposed to be, but an ASIC was just developed for it actually by Bitmain. So there, there's an ASIC called Z9, which is developed by Bitmain. It is actually designed to mine ASIC, but mm -hmm. the whole point of Equihash was to be ASIC resistant by being memory intensive. Okay. So, so this was done with an ASIC probably team or pool or... It, it, it's hard to say exactly, you know, so we're, we're actually trying to track down who did this. We're working with, um, you know, a couple of exchanges that were involved and we hope to involve law enforcement, um, at, you know, at some point in the near future as well. So it's hard to say the, the exact mechanism. So there's, yeah, one problem we have is that there are these very efficient, um, mining like uh, hash rate for higher services, like nice hash mm -hmm. where you can go and temporarily, uh, lease a whole bunch of hash power and you know and point it at one coin so you could temporarily for a little bit of time right. you could have more you know majority hash rate on that project because now it's available in 2009 and 10 it wasn't available at these types of services but now we have them so it's a new reality that we live in and we have to adjust you mentioned the response and that you wanted to find this bad actor that did this and now that there's you know bitmain developing you know asic miners for this that you said the z9 it could be anybody it could be any mining pool it could be anybody with with a right. big ass um <laughs> a yep. farm somewhere that just said hey you know what let's just go mess with uh, zen for yep. a while um yep. Which is a reality. So there's two things I want to ask. One, you offered a 10,000 Zen reward for finding this bad actor. And you also mentioned prosecution for this. Yeah, so actually, we, we didn't announce that. That was a suggestion in our community. Oh, least, okay. Yeah, at least I didn't. So I, I never uh, signed off on that personally. I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think anyone else. Uh, it, it would have to be the exchange partner if that were true. But 
I, I haven't heard of that being the case. Okay, okay. Then I apologize. I just, I just saw that in passing, and I, and the biggest question, I was like, prosecution, is this even realistic? Well, yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought it up because I guarantee you other people um, probably think that we're offering a bounty for the person as well. So, um, you know, criminals always make mistakes. So I have no idea if we're going to be able to catch this person. But so they withdrew funds from one exchange. So we have KYC from one exchange. Uh, it could be fraudulent. I would expect it to be fraudulent. Uh, and they sent the funds to another exchange where they had KYC. So um, I expect they probably had fraudulent stuff. But every time they've logged into these exchanges from this account at any point in history, they've, they could potentially have leaked their IP address. Um, so they could have potentially leaked some you know, identifying information um, the way that they access the exchanges. So there's a variety of ways that we could potentially catch them. I, I can't speak right now to whether or not we actually will. Um, it, it is the, the odds are tough, right? But at some point, every criminal makes a mistake. This yeah. is a breach of trust. Why would the consumers, the investors, trust Zen after a fifty-one percent attack? I mean, the same way you know, Bitcoin Gold or Verge got fifty-one percented. Why would they still continue to trust Zen moving in the future? And what is the future of Zen? Yeah, no, that, and that's a great question. So this is something that I, I can't be too callous about and say, you know, you shouldn't have concerns. Uh, everyone should have concerns. Now, um, it, it wouldn't make sense, though, to have concerns that say we're, we're more vulnerable than, say, a thousand other projects that have smaller hash rates than we do. Um, so if, if you're concerned about this type of threat vector, then, you know, it's a valid concern and discount this rationally in how you value these projects. Um, but we shouldn't be singled out as as a project that's particularly vulnerable. In fact, I would say we're particularly hardened relative to you know um, you know where we were last week or relative to other projects on the market. Um, but the reality is, like I said, this is something that's a tractable engineering problem that we're going to solve in in short order, where it will be f fixed. And we hope to give this you know technology to the industry so that other projects could also harden themselves. But let, let's get back to the, the magnitude here is this was a very small event relative to the size of the market, you know, our market, our project, um, the exchange that was hacked. This is a very small amount, which is not to downplay it. Um, but realistically, no one's private funds were at risk. This was a heist on an exchange, which is extremely unfortunate that our project was used as a vehicle to heist. Uh, in exchange, but mm -hmm. none of our users were ever at risk, uh, and none of our users can feasibly be be at risk with a 51% attack. It's just not it's not what a 51% attack is, and I think that people misunderstand what this means. And it sounds very scary. Um, and you know, from an engineering perspective, it is scary in a sense where you know our engineering consensus mechanism allows this kind of thing to happen given certain conditions. Um, but we're we're going to fix it, and it's right. it's nothing that any individual has to worry about right now. And I think we have an awesome team that we all came together as as a team. All of our partners came in, which is amazing. We have three software companies we work with, we partner with. Right? We have some incredible partners out there, incredible team members. Our community has been awesome. So I, I think that we have, you know, if you look at what we're doing, we have a ton of credibility in being able to solve this in short order. Already, I think the just the fix with the exchanges increasing confirmation times has significantly reduced the, the vulnerability that they have. Where did that money come from? Whose money was it? Where, where, if somebody's walking out, walking out with 50, or I'm sorry, if somebody's walking out with $550,000, where'd the yep. money come from if it's not Zen? From the exchange. So they basically robbed an exchange. They robbed so an they, exchange. They took, so that's not people's yeah. funds. Uh, 
Well, it's the exchange's funds and the exchange, you know. Um, so if, if a 51% attack is so severe and so large that they take hundreds of millions of dollars from an exchange, that exchange could go bankrupt and then you lose your money on the exchange. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's always risky to put your money on an exchange. Now, hundreds of millions of dollars is much different than $600,000, right? right? So the, this quantity, there's no risk of that being the case at all. Um, but this is still something that we have to take responsibility for as an industry and fix it. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we will. All right. Last question before we get off. And first, I want to say thank you uh, for coming back on for a brief chat about this. Um, like we said at the beginning of this, before we hopped on, we both yeah. felt really responsible to put out our first episode that we had, you know, talking about Zen and then talk about this recent event. So, again, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. So and this is Awesome. Thank you. Hey, no worries. No worries. Yeah. Hey, awesome. Wow. <laughs> well, th uh, by that, I mean, it's perfect timing. We need to get the word out because people are nervous. Right. Um, and especially with a crypto 101 type setting, uh, people that, you know, they hear this threat and they think, well, this is really bad. Um, they need to hear the details of what it is and what we're doing about it. Do you think that the site, and just I think a couple of weeks ago, was the first time I heard about it, Crypto51.app. And it's a site that did a price analysis for everybody to do, or or a bad actor, not everyone, <laughs> but a cost analysis for people to do 51% attacks on networks. And it said, for example, um, you know what? It's not in front of me, so I can't give you an example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, it gives you a cost analysis, and it shows you how, how feasible it is to do a 51% attack. Do you think that this site made it more appealing for people to start attacking different networks? Absolutely. I, I, I definitely do. So I think um, it, we probably shouldn't you know, lay all blame on them. That's for sure. We should not be doing well, that. We should not be looking for a scapegoat. Oh, no, blame right? them. Blame them. Maybe they want to come on the show then. <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but for sure, if, if you go and dangle like, hey, hey, guys, you know, look how easy it is to go rob this house over here. Um, of course, someone's going to take them up on it right. and do it. Uh, now, I, I do question the numbers in there. So I haven't seen their methodology, but uh, you know, one thing to realize is no matter what the number says, say it's like $50,000 to, to launch an attack on Zen, what they're saying is you're placing a bet that says there's some chance that I will be able to hijack the network for some period of time to do right. this. There's also a good chance that you won't. So right. how many people are willing to roll the dice with $50,000 at a pop or $100,000? So I think that when people look at this and they say like the numbers look like way too low and they are way too low. All right, given the stakes, but still, you know, for you know some some criminal organization in say like Bosnia to say, hey, we're gonna go roll the dice on, you know, stealing half a million from Zen. Um, with every time we, we roll, we lose fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars. That's you know that's the reality of it. It's a stochastic event. Right, for sure, for sure. Actually, your price on there they put you at twenty three thousand dollars. But then there's some people on there or some coins projects on there that are just like ridiculously low, like Sumo Coin, ninety three dollars. Well, in, in that case, why not? Let's do this all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, it, it this definitely exposes. But in a way, so this is what I was saying earlier today was we're anti fragile in the sense that this kind of stuff exposes the weaknesses that we have. And we just have to fix them. But without them being exposed, who knows when they would ever be fixed. So I'd rather fix this stuff now while we're still a relatively small project than before we you know, b become a much larger project and then something like this that we just didn't think about actually happens because we took it for granted. So you know, in the end, we're going to become much stronger because of this. It was mm -hmm. a little kick in the butt 
they got us working our butts off. Right on, right. Actually, I got to take that back and say it's $7,300 that they calculate to give a one-hour attack on your network. I was reading the wrong line, so apologize, everyone. How, how much was it? $7,308. $7,000. $7, I, I kind of doubt that. We're about 60, 60 million hashes per second on our network, so I, I know how... I don't know how renting 60, 000, 60 million hashes per second for an hour is $7,000. You said 60 or 1.6? 60 million. Okay, okay, because they have you at 45. Oh, maybe, yeah, we were back then. So. All right, so, but, hey, yeah. well, now the more we know. All right, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, thank you very much for your time this morning and, or I'm sorry, this evening for you, and you enjoy those craft beers. Thank you very much. Appreciate All right. it. All right, brother. Bye. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. As always, ApogeeCrypto.com. That's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com. The best place to check your real-time prices. CryptoNews.com. The best place to read your crypto news. Always updated. Always the latest. And if you need a website, WPOnTheFly.co. And ask for June. And for the next episode, get ready to talk to Jeff Berwick, the dollar vigilante. We'll see you then. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.